Welcome to episode two of Brand Frontlines, where brand building gets real. I'm Marisa Labrack, author, entrepreneur, and marketing communications strategist. And I'm Eric Labrack, founder of Applied Storytelling, a brand communications strategy firm that has worked on everything from startups to global 100 brands across virtually every sector of business. So last week, episode one, we talked about what a brand is. It's kind of set the groundwork for what we're up to. And this episode, we're talking about vision and mission, the vision, the mission. And we're going to talk about what they are, why they're important. They are. And how you can create your own or maybe update your own or edit them or up-level them. And we're going to hear your very dense and fascinating conversation with Joseph Bastian, founder of Folktellers, about using storytelling to drive organizational performance. Uh, But first, what have you been up to this week, husband? Well, you know, it's the first full week after the holidays, and there's still a lot of follow-on communicating going on from the holidays. For us, the holidays are the big time to connect. They're, they're kind of the most important time for us to, to market. Uh, so we, you know, spend a lot of time giving gifts and following up and hearing from people. It's a really wonderful time of year. And we're uh, working, it's a little late, got to admit, but still going to come out sometime in the next week or two. Kind of a big... Um, year-end roundup. I mean, now it's obviously a new year forecasting, but just things that inspired us in the past year, you know, the books that we read that we thought were influential, movies that we saw, ideas that we shared, quotes we heard, um, all that. And, And this year, we're also sharing some of our work, which we haven't been very good about staying current on the website. So... That's all really important stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important to stay connected to ideas and new cultural influences and to stay inspired. Even, you know, reading novels can be so influential in building a story. Yeah, so true. And, you know, we should probably have a whole episode dedicated to that at some point. But before we get in any further, I want to know what have you been up to? Yeah, I feel like I'm really reconnecting with a lot of my clients after a few weeks of patchy communications <laughs> on both sides. But the end of the year was definitely a push to finish a lot of platforms and building of brands for different clients. And now we're definitely in the mode of marketing strategy, taking those brands that we've honed and really discovering what they're capable of and how we can use them to reach goals for the businesses. That's great. I know you had a couple of websites go live, among other things, and mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty satisfying, isn't it, when you, yeah. you see the work you do out in the world starting to make a difference for your mm-hmm. clients? Yeah, it feels really good. And that's excellent. Yeah. So let's talk about the vision and the mission. Let's hit the, the vision first. Yeah, I I don't know why it is, but I tend to spend more time talking about and thinking about the vision than the mission. Honestly, I should probably deal with that at some point, but we may spend a little bit more time today talking about the vision than the mission. Um, Yeah, so super important. And when we're setting out to build a brand backstory, you know, really lay the communications foundation for a brand, 
that's where we start. We start with the vision and the mission. And those aren't necessarily parts of the brand. They're really more foundational tools for the business. And the brand is there to support the business. So we want to know what that vision and mission are. And if we don't have them, it's really hard for us to do a good job. So sometimes we find that they're there and they're good. You know, the company's got a, a solid vision that feels good, feels like it's doing what a vision should do for the company. And sometimes they're not. They're either not <clears throat> we think a good vision should be. And, and we hopefully can talk about that with them a little bit or they're, they're missing. And when that comes up, um, even if it's not really part of the scope of work we set out to do with them, we say, look, we, you know, we, we need to have this so we can work with you to develop it or you can work on it, you know, internally. Um, but we should, you know, we should try to get this in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so remember when I was starting different businesses in my 20s and creating business plans and seeing the vision and mission and the in the business plan template and just like glazing over and going, eh, I'll do that later. It's not important. I know what I'm about, but it turns out I often didn't. And the the goals of the business would get very watery and you know, I, as you would call the vision often a North star, I, I wouldn't have that. And I would not make clear decisions. And now knowing what I know, I'm like, if you can't create a vision and mission, then there's no second step to take. You need to do that. Yeah, let's do that. And then we'll talk <laughs> about why it's important, right? Mm -hmm. So the vision is really the ultimate end goal that you see. It's the destination you're driving your business towards. A metaphor for it is it's the, the beacon on the hill. It's what you ultimately want to create and also what impact you want that creation, that business, that brand to have in the world. That's what it is in a nutshell. Just to contrast it with the mission, the way we explain it to keep it really simple and clear for our clients is that the mission is how you're going to get to that beacon on the hill. So mm -hmm. what's the path that you're going to take? And it's possible in the brand world where we're thinking about differentiating things all the time to have, you know, multiple companies pursuing similar visions. That's okay. You know, that's not really where differentiation takes place. Mm. Um, what we look for in a vision to move on from defining it to like what makes a good one mm -hmm. is, well, part of what makes a good one is that it's big, it's bold. It's visionary, right? I mean, a vision is what a visionary has. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for our clients to be visionaries. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost impossible to create one that's too big. And some really good visions are never fulfilled. You know, you're always moving towards them, but they're never really totally achievable. You know, so Google, I guess you could say it's a vision. I don't know if they call it a vision, but like they put out that, that their, you know, their goal, their driving goal was to organize the world's information. Well, you're never going to do all that, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's always more information. There are always new ways to organize it, but that drives them forward. And you can see how that'll just inspire them and help them to, you know, keep growing, you know, indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So we look for, we look for boldness. We look for visionary quality. And that's one of the things when we find, you know, a brand or a company that has a vision, but it, it's not that, then we say, listen, you know, it's not bold. How does this um, 
help drive you forward. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're describing your business today. Right. And the absolute worst vision it's not a vision, but that people will say as one is, you know, to drive shareholder value. It's like, uh, no, right. that's a, that's an important goal, but that's not a vision. So that's, that's the imperative of every business. That's uh, <laughs> well, public, publicly public held businesses. Business, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So that's one of the key things that we're looking for is, is it bold? Is it visionary? Yeah. So it has an internal value to inspire everybody working on the business in whatever way and to help guide decision-making toward that beacon. And it also relates to the brand story. Oh yeah. Hugely. I mean, it's basically the storyline. If mm -hmm. you think about it, you know, the vision or the plot, right? So you're moving towards this thing that you may reach at some point, in which case you'll come up with a new vision. Um, or you may never reach, but you're, you're always moving down that path, you know? So let's step aside from business for a moment and just think about other vision situations in the world. So you have Odysseus, you know, the great Greek hero. He has a vision of returning home. Mm -hmm. He has literally has a vision in his mind's eye that he's not going to let go of, of his wife and his son and his dog and his farm. Mm -hmm. that he wants to return to after the Trojan Wars. Mm -hmm. And that drives him forward. That gives him purpose. And all the adventures he has along the way, all of the encounters are along that plot line of trying to get home. Mm -hmm. Now, he eventually does get home. It's not quite what he thought it would be, but he gets there. Mm -hmm. But that's a great idea. You know, Galileo, a scientist, had a vision of unlocking the mysteries of the heavens and spent his entire life pursuing that vision, unlocking many mysteries, discovering many things. So we can have visions in our lives. Stories have plots, which are like the equivalent of visions in a way. And I think that helps people to become a little bit familiar and comfortable with the idea when we start thinking about brands. So should a vision be something that will always be slightly out of reach or should it be attainable? just has to be bold, yeah. you know, so, um, some visions, some companies we know have had attainable visions that were very bold. They were setting out to do things that are, you know, some people call moonshots, right? They're just mm -hmm. really, really bold things. And they accomplish that. Um, and other ones have visions that, that don't I'd say the minimum bold vision, <laughs> if you want the, the MBV, mm -hmm. <laughs> is something that's going to drive your strategy for several years. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to get from one place in your business to a whole new level, a whole new strategic milestone mm -hmm. where, you, where you're going to have to sit down and say, all right, it's time to redo our strategic plan that's going to guide us for another 10 year period, let's say. Mm -hmm. So if someone is trying to create their own vision for their business endeavor, we have some exercises that we use with clients. So yeah, we do have some exercises, you know, I mean, you use some, right? Oh, so yeah. why don't you talk about the ones you use? One that I really like, especially, yeah, I've used it for with companies that are, you know, where I'm just talking to the founder and I've also used it in a work session with a lot of people and it's really fun is to ask them, you know, to close their eyes, <laughs> go to the visioning place and imagine a newspaper 
whatever newspaper that they think is the most credible and exciting, the New York Times or their hometown paper, whatever it is. And they're closing their business. They're ending their nonprofit. The project has come to an end. And it's coming to an end because it's accomplished everything that it needed to do. And what is the headline? What's the story? And what does it mean for them to have reached the mountaintop? So that's a good one. And I mean, do the, we use something similar to that. Um, how do the clients respond to that when you introduce that exercise? Um, one thing that I like about it is it usually skips the record a little bit. Like no one's ever thought about Mm-hmm. Most people have never thought about something ending because it's done everything it needs to do. It's sort of a foreign concept. But once they actually start to write and journal, then oh, people get really into it. And they love thinking about, you know, what, what are the wild goals that they could have accomplished that would allow them to, to move on to something else and feel like the conquering hero in the story. And it's always fun to share. Yeah, so... I think of that as kind of like the legacy exercise. We sometimes think about, I mean, very similar idea, you know, imagine that you're an entry in Wikipedia and mm. you've really accomplished something worthy of being in Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. What is that thing? And yeah, it can be a happy ending. You sold it, you, you know, moved on. It's not like the business ended for any negative reason. It's just an entry in Wikipedia. And we sometimes go to that end point along with another exercise that's five years out. Mm -hmm. So what's the uh, headline for the article you'd like to see in a group setting? And we really like to be in group settings Mm -hmm. and work with teams who represent different aspects of a company, different parts of the operation. We want them all to share what that is. And through that kind of collective prism, we get a really interesting picture of where they see the company going. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, we're telling them like blue sky. Okay. Just don't imagine any negative events, the best possible outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's the best of all possible worlds, right. which is actually kind of our nickname for these exercises. They kind of laugh and there, there's a sense of kind of wonder and awe and Sometimes it feels like it's bordering on the ridiculous, mm-hmm. but then we ask them, like, can this really happen? And they're, you know, they confirm it like, yes, it can. And it's really um, uplifting, I think, for mm-hmm. groups to do this. We tend to do these exercises pretty early in mm-hmm. a work session. So, um, yeah, and it takes them away from literally thinking about the vision. We, mm-hmm. we get all that information and we can say, well, so that kind of implies this about where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And that kind of implies that. Mm-hmm. We do actually have one other exercise that's probably worth mentioning, which is kind of like a Mad Lib. Honestly, it's a fill in the blanks. You mm-hmm. know, we see a world in which blank takes place and enables blank to happen. Mm-hmm. And then from there we can follow up and say, okay, and what's our role in bringing that vision of the world to life? Mm-hmm. So filling in that blank is a more direct exercise that's, super valuable as well. And again, mm-hmm. it's, it's easy. Yeah. Um, and these are all situations where we're, we're working with a team to arrive at this. I think you mentioned that you're working with leaders in smaller companies, oftentimes who you can craft this with directly or help them get to it directly. And mm-hmm. I really do think it's important to say that this is a, from our standpoint, this is the responsibility of a leader to mm-hmm. do 
you're not going to get, in our opinion, the best vision from polling people in the company. Mm -hmm. They're looking for leaders to define that and get behind it and inspire, you know. So we view crafting the vision as a job of a leader. Now, mm -hmm. we can help and the team can help, but at the end of the day, we generally want to hear from the leader. Right. I mean, it's it's often the, the impetus, the seed that the whole thing started from, or one would hope. Right, right. You know, it's funny, though, again, just like you go back to the situation where you said, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to just get into the business and start doing stuff and making things and making money and connecting with customers. A lot of big companies can get pretty far without really sitting down to craft that. Right. And some companies don't even believe in it, yeah. believe it or not. So Motivation can come from so many places. I mean, when I think about my own, all the businesses I've started, you know, maybe it was because I really wanted a claim in a certain field or I really wanted to um, be connected with certain people that I thought were doing cool things deep down. That's why I started it. But that's not enough to motivate and sustain a business. And so, yeah, there's a certain point where you hit a wall and you're like, okay, I've done this or this isn't working. What is this thing that I built around me? I'm going to mix it up here a little bit in our conversation. I want to add another element that we're starting to use a little bit more of so we, we talk about vision and we haven't really talked about the mission too much yet, but I just want to go back to that thing that you talked about, which is that motivating idea, mm -hmm. which may not be the vision for the business. It may be something deeper in you that, you know, needs to come out. That might be worth crafting into a statement too. We might call that a, a purpose statement mm -hmm. or, a, or a why. Mm -hmm. And that can really be a source of power and authenticity in building a brand. Person who has a lot to say on the subject, mm -hmm. Simon Sinek, very good popularizer of important business and marketing ideas. And he has a book called Why or Getting to Why. And I think there's a YouTube presentation as well. One of our clients actually uh, brought him to our attention and uh, really believes in that element of this kind of foundational stuff as well. And mm -hmm. again, we see this as kind of existing before the actual brand foundation elements. Mm -hmm. We just need them to be in place. They're kind of brand adjacent, mm -hmm. if you will. You know, getting that why down can be important too. Mm -hmm. When I think about the business that I started, I mean, you know, applied storytelling has a vision mm -hmm. is to transform markets through the power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And we do that through working with our clients which takes us into the mission a little bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, the deeper purpose is something bigger for the world that I have in mind, which is to eliminate barriers to understanding and connection. Mm. Um, I really view what we do as being a form of healing almost. We're helping people to unblock their ability to express what they want to in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to go out and market that too mm -hmm. much, but that's the underlying driver. That's really what gets me up in the morning is that higher purpose. And so I think it's good to connect with that as well while we're on the subject. That's what gets you out of bed in the morning, huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> what gets me out of bed in the morning is the fact that it's morning. But <laughs> when you really go deeper, your business is, is not 100% of your life. There are other things there, right? But just getting back into the brand mode, I think there's 
room for that as well. Yeah, and it's always, there's never harm in clarifying what's motivating you. Let's put a pause on our discussion of vision to hear Eric and Joseph Bastian talking about getting your organization on board with your vision using storytelling. Definitely an interesting world that I'm navigating right now between uh, my professional world of learning and performance and organizational development and then uh, with my new book series that's uh, getting picked up in the entertainment industry. So kind of straddling uh, two different worlds right now. Right. And I guess the first world you were in, the very first world was originally writing, right? And then you figured out some ways to apply it commercially or in business. And now in a way, it seems like it's almost coming full circle where you're back to storytelling as a form of entertainment. Is that more or less right? Yeah, it's kind of been an in and out. I can tell you, you know, I started my career as a technical writer. So I was an English major and then I got my teaching certification. And I answered an ad in the classified and I ended up being a a technical writer for General Motors, writing owners and service manuals. And that kind of moved into corporate education and training. But all along, I was still writing. I, I, you know, I wasn't published then. So I made a decision about a decade ago to really try to look how to bring the discipline of learning and performance with creative writing and storytelling and how I could bring those together and make a career of it. And I'm still sorting it out, but but pretty far down the road. Was there a moment where, you know, things kind of snapped into place for you where you realized it was going to work that way? Yeah. So as, as an employee, you know, you're in a specific job role and function. So you're doing your work and you're doing your best work. But it was really when I moved in the consulting world, you know, you, you've got to wear a lot of different hats. And um, you're doing multifunctional things where it really, I think, activated the storytelling and the discipline and rigor around learning and performance really brought them together. Because now as a consultative, taking the consultative approach, it's more solution driven versus task driven. And that's when I really saw it come together. Right. So who was your first? First of all, we should probably mention the name of your firm. It's Folktellers, right? Right. So you're out on your own. You've started to make the connection between storytelling and helping organizations. What was the first actual assignment that you had where you were able to really apply storytelling to achieve some sort of goal? Yes, it was a company called Cengage Learning, and they are a a large corporation that sells uh, textbooks into K-12 schools and colleges and universities, as well as libraries around the world. And they were at risk of losing a lot of their library uh, clients because libraries were going through an identity crisis where as things were becoming more digital, uh, people weren't coming into the library anymore because they didn't need to have access to physical books. So there was a whole opportunity there of how do you take an existing social infrastructure and rebrand or re position its value in the community and in the market. And, you know, Cengage brought me in because they were at risk of losing major clients if this problem wasn't solved. So they wanted to get out in front of it. And I was able to use not only my learning and performance discipline, but the storytelling piece of how you engage an audience uh, through story and how they see themselves you know, in the story. And so we ended up doing a program that ended up being multiple projects under a one program umbrella. You know, one of the questions that comes up for me is like, okay, so you're applying storytelling when someone's signing up for a storytelling approach to addressing these kinds of needs, what exactly is happening? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a, that's a big question, Eric. And in my mind, it's leadership that is, they're the storytellers, right? So they're the ones that have to create and craft the story. And that's like the first phase. And they have to look at holistically the organization, how it's structured, all the groups, all the stakeholders involved, and create a story that's going to be compelling, knowing that uh, the story is going to be engaged with in various ways, depending on who the stakeholders are in the organization. And so, you know, that's all the crafting and that, and you're tapping into, you know, who your audience is, uh, what makes them tick. Uh, This is all culture, you know, culture stuff. And then once you've defined that story, then the question is, is not only how do we communicate it out to our varying audiences, both internal and external, but how do we get them engaged? So, you start out the storyteller and you craft the story, but then it's like, how do we bring other people into it so that they feel that they're part of it? And that's what, that's the engagement right. piece because, mm-hmm. and this goes, this is the, you know, where the learning and performance is. The learning is about communicating and sharing the story. And then the performance piece is people engaging with it, internalizing it, and then taking an action or actions that will amplify this story and really put the story into practice. I, I think, you know, in our discussions before, um, you use the term activate. How do you activate the story in an organization? And that's what I do. Right. I help companies and organizations really activate it. And I could go into, you know, what that process looks like. But basically, you know, every organization has different job roles and different functions. And the challenge is, in my role, how do I fit in? And where is my value? How am I adding value to the larger narrative? Because every right. job function has its own narrative, but it all needs to align and fit in with the larger narrative, the larger story. And once you get that, that's when you see organization change and grow and flourish. So when you say an employee or certain employees are characters, are they characters playing themselves? Yeah, and that's when you get into a thematic approach in storytelling. So if you just did this okay. straight from an organizational development perspective, you're already mm-hmm. using the term job role. So like you're already using storytelling terms. What you're talking about is you're playing a role. You're already using storytelling terms. So in a sense, being a part of an organization is kind of the ultimate role-playing game to begin with. Is that right? It absolutely is. You know, one of the things that's sort of at the core of what we do, and I think it's at the core of what you do as well, is getting organizations to understand. I think more and more are figuring this out, that storytelling is not just about entertainment. Storytelling is taking place all the time, everywhere, all around us. We're stringing together meaning and emotion into coherent little narratives, and that can happen in church. It can happen when you go to pick up your dry cleaning. It can happen if you're laying on the psychiatrist's couch and so on. And I'm focused primarily on, hey, it's happening in the marketplace and you're focused primarily, and again, there's a lot of overlap, which is really interesting, it's happening in the workplace. Let me just ask you though, so if uh, an organization isn't gonna take this approach, how might they drive performance? What other kinds of, what are the more conventional means that they might be using? And why would you say, hey, listen, you know, all those are great, but like you really ought to think about the approach that I that I take. Typically, it used to be all human resource related, and now you've got attraction, onboarding, 
professional development, leadership development, so session planning. And so in all these areas, they're hotspots, you know, depending on where the organization is. If they're in some sort of flux, they're in merger acquisition, they're downsizing, they're right-sizing, they're expanding. Organizations are always in flux and they're gonna have hotspots in any one of those areas. So typically what organizations do is they're putting out fires. The hotspot crops up, they address the hotspot. But what I do differently is, and this is where story comes in, is look at it more holistically. So identify, you know, I get called in when there's a hotspot and I say, okay, you know, you've got an issue with, you you need to hire 200 people in the next three months and you don't have the capacity. How are you going to do that? It's like, okay, whatever, you need an intervention and we'll address that. But we need to look at it holistically in the context of the entire organization, what I call the employee life cycle, which is everything. Like instead of a line, it's a cycle. And that's where storytelling comes in because in all those areas, you're going to have different stakeholders. And by using story, you can get people to engage quicker in a more meaningful way and sustain it. And a framework of meaning as opposed to someone coming in and saying, we have a tool set, but that's a different form of completeness than a holistic kind of completeness. Is that a way of thinking about it, I guess? That's it, exactly. So when you look at things holistically and you design your solution around that broader view and use story to do it, um, that becomes a sustainable solution. So one of the things that we've talked about before and that is an ongoing topic of deep fascination for me is the relationship between what we do, which is grounded in strategy, it combines aspects of art, but it's happening in a world that's increasingly driven by quantitative measurement. How do you measure the results when you're engaged? And how does storytelling live with things like metrics, things like validation, uh, statistical validation, and so on in your world? That's a great question. So in the learning performance and organizational development world, part of the process is doing that front-end analysis where you're you know, defining the program, goals and objectives, who your audience is, what you're trying to communicate. And then the other piece of that is defining what are the performance metrics. So the key is defining those upfront because what I will always tell clients is how do you know if you're successful if you don't have anything to measure against it? And so- Right. You know, to have those discussions in the beginning, like what does success look like? I acknowledge to them that, you know, success is going to look different to each one of you, depending on what your role is in the organization and get that. And so part of that first analysis is a design document that is actually de- defined. Okay, here are the performance metrics. Here's what success looks like for our program. And by the way, this is what we're going to measure against. And then, you know, to me, the the analytical tools that are out there, those are just enablers. You know, if you're able to define, um, you know, finite performance metrics up front, there's plenty of tools out there to get you the data and slice and dice it as you need uh, to measure your success. So whatever the actual performance goals, there are also goals around how you feel. Do you think of goals in those categories or how, how do you parse all that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the tools of the trade is Kilpatrick's learning model. And it was designed to develop training courses, but it actually works at an organizational level as well. And basically there's five 
levels in the model. The first level is how do you feel? Like, so if you took a training course or you're participating in this program, you know, how do you feel? So it's, it's, it's a feeling level. It's, it's about, okay. it's about what you are experiencing, right? The second level in Kilpatrick's learning model is, did you learn anything? Like, so did you, did you grow? Did you, did you gain any knowledge or experience by going through the experience, whether it was training, whether it was program orientation, whatever it was, did you learn okay. it? And then the, the third is, did you apply it? You know, were you able to apply it in your job? And then the fourth is, what was its impact to your business unit? And then the fifth is, what was the impact to the organization? And so in that model, you can create uh, the mechanisms to measure those things. Those are things that are very, sure. very measurable. So that's a kind of an industry standard tool that you can use in a lot of different ways. So when I think about that model, the Kilpatrick's uh, learning framework that you've just shared with us, it would seem that to get to these latter questions of the five that you're asking, it takes time. You know, you're not going to sit down and have a single workshop and come away with people saying that they were able to influence the organization, obviously, because they've all been sitting in a room and they haven't had a chance to go out and do that. They may have felt something. They probably have learned something. And maybe that's kind of where it leaves off in one workshop. So I'm getting the sense that to really move the needle and achieve whatever it is that the organization wants to achieve takes time. Um, what kind of time does it take? In the real world, mm -hmm. most organizations can't pass level two. Okay. The very nature of the business that they're in. And frankly, most of them are okay with it. So if the participants, whether it's a learning experience or whether whatever it is, if the people who are part of the program have a feel that being a good experience and you're getting positive feedback and they're able to demonstrate, which in a training program, you can do assessments, you can measure people's, uh, you can measure training effectiveness. So that's a level two, right? You can do that. And typically that's where organizations have to stop because now they're going back to their job. They're going back doing whatever their daily tasks. And, you know, to get to a level three, like if they're able to apply it in their job, that's a much longer time frame and much more complex. So the, the deeper you go right. in the evaluation model from an organizational standpoint, it can become very complex. So most organizations don't get past the level two. And a lot of them um, end up, you know, this is what we call check the box, right? Um, where it's like, hey, they took the training or they went through the program, just check the box. It's compliance, right? It's, it's a great model, but in the real world, it's, it's really hard to get past level two. Right. And you're shedding some light on some of the things that we find as limits in our work. So again, our focus is, much of it is outward facing. But when you talk about driving brand insight into an organization, we continually bounce up against level two. We're not being engaged to work with groups for months or, again, I don't know how long, but I believe it's several months that these engagements can take place. And to your point, just to riff on this a little further, I'm looking for your comment on this. Those kinds of timeframes are relatively long for organizations to comprehend. You know, like when you talk about things that are longer than a business quarter, let's say, or, you know, longer than a lot of the processes that they're used to, it takes a certain mental adjustment on their part to say, okay, we're going to do this thing. They're used to moving very fast in other areas. And here you're saying, 
we have to spend some time here. We've got to be methodical for these people really to grasp this. It's a different timetable than what we're talking about. Do you find that they have to make that shift? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then they have to make that commitment. And and, and companies that are able to get past level two, uh, what they'll do is, you know, a lot of times when you're doing anything that's transformational, like when you take a storytelling approach, it's transformational. You know, you're brought in to change, right? You're a, you're an agent of change. I tell people that I said, I'm a change agent. I come in, I help foster positive change in companies. And when you do that, the best you can hope for is you're going to do an intervention which people perceive as, okay, this is the program and we're launching the program. And then mm-hmm. you say, hey, this is going to be a two-year program. We're starting the intervention, but and then we're going to put you out there. We're going to give you support and we're going to keep the mantra put out in front of you. And then we're going to measure how engaged are you? Is this making a difference in your job and what you do? Is it making a difference in the company? And again, the deeper the level you go, the longer the time period. So within 90 days, you can measure and say, hey, have you changed in your job? Is your performance changed? You know, are you uh, engaged with this transformation? And then, you know, it's another three months to say, how is this impacting your group? And then it's really, you know, a year before you can look at a mid to large size organization, its totality and say, are we even seeing any change or is this going the other way? Because you'll be able to see that as well. So yeah, I mean, you, you have to kind of frame that right up front with the with the key stakeholders and with leadership and they have to buy into that in the beginning otherwise it what happens is you have an event-based interaction and then it just fades it just fades it, it dilutes in the organization right so you know as far as evaluating the effectiveness of any transformation or any intervention you can evaluate the participants at the individual level, at the job role level within 90 days, and you can get get good data. From the business unit level, from the groups in which they work, it's going to take longer. It's going to be another three months. So you're going to need about six months of runway to get the kind of uh, data to see whether, whether you're getting traction or not. And then for the organization as a whole, typically it's going to be about a year where you can see how this is all rolling up. If you're seeing the engagement across the organization, if you're seeing that it's impacting people in their different job roles and across the business units, it is what it is. And, and you know, my point is that it's really important that program owners, leaders, and stakeholders are aware of that in the beginning. You know, to me, it's always about setting expectation and providing context, you know, how these things roll out in the real world. You're talking about being a change agent. You're talking about enabling transformation, positive transformation in companies. And everything I read and a lot of the things that we work on and experience is talking about suggesting that transformations are happening at an accelerating pace. There are all kinds of things that are forcing businesses to change. And therefore, I'm guessing that, you know, there's a lot of demand for what you do. And if we say, listen, there's a, you know, increasing rate of transformation. So there's an increasing need for dealing with it in organizations and storytelling is a very relevant tool. Uh, I'm guessing that there's a pretty bright future for storytelling in driving performance in organizations. That struck me as really relevant. Maybe you can kind of recap that. Yeah. So, so from an organizational perspective and, and other terms you hear about, you know, workforce. So you're hearing that there's so many, uh, 
data points, you know, one is that this is the first time ever that there's five generations working in the same global workforce. I mean, that's never happened before in the in the history of work. All these things, there's so many factors that's influencing the rapid change in our global workforce. This was, you know, before COVID, I saw workforce futurist speak. And what he said was, we're rapidly moving from an employment economy into an engagement economy. What he meant was, you know, there's this sort of employee-employer mindset where you work for a company. And actually where it's moving is you're going to be working with companies. So however that shakes out through contract labor, staffing, whatever, what you're finding, you're seeing it already, you're just going to see more of it, is experts like us and a lot of other people, this sort of consultative solution-driven approach to work where you're working with multiple companies on multiple projects versus sort of these monofunctional roles as an employee within an organization having a singular job function. That's a fascinating topic. You know, just one implication of this that's really interesting is if we're working with as opposed to for, the entire role of culture becomes different. Like, where do you work with things? Well, the project, you know, folks like us do that. I, I, I go back to movies, okay, which is a great model for us to think about in a lot of ways. And you work on a movie, it gets completed, and then you move on to another. And you tend to work with the same people because they develop trust in your capabilities. But the cast changes, the team changes a bit for a variety of reasons mm-hmm. based on, on needs and so on. And you develop a certain flow with a group, like you might in a band for that matter, but it's different than a culture, you know? So companies, we think of them as having not fixed cultures, but cultures that are established. And what is the demand that a company uh, makes on people coming into it to understand its culture or be a part of its culture? What's the role of culture if we're moving to this engagement um, model? You can answer it or we can leave it as an open question. Uh, at the, <laughs> near the top of the hour here, it's a deep, it's a deep topic. I, you know, you just raised it, you know, yeah, and, you know, just, I, just cropped I, up here. I will but. never be able to answer it in a, in this short of time. But what I will say <laughs> is this is what I've, what I've told clients and I've, I've, I've written about this too, is, uh, in it, traditionally, I think a lot of culture happened by default. Whenever you get a group mm. of people together, there's going to be culture. And now I, I believe, and this is where storytelling comes in is that culture needs to be defined, it needs to be purposeful, and it needs to be you know, driven. So it needs to be driven and managed. Yeah, and, and even looking outside the business world, Joseph, I mean, stories are the coins of culture. You know, they're units of culture. They're where culture is embedded and transmitted, right? So there's a yeah. lot to keep exploring here. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fantastic conversation. It's given me a lot more questions than I had going in. And uh, I know we'll be talking again soon. And now back to our episode. All right. So a vision is your big, beautiful, exciting, bold goal. Expressed in very few words. (laughs) Expressed, yeah, succinctly and powerfully. Yeah. I mean, it really should be as short as two da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da period. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to see them nice and short. Part of it is it's easy to convey. Right. It's also a sign that you've got some clear thinking Mm -hmm. going on there. It's confident. Exactly. 
All right, mission. The, the mission. mission. <laughs> yeah, so this the mission is how you're going to accomplish your ultimate business goals. And going back to our little analogy, once again, it's the path to the vision. And generally speaking, it's also a short, simple statement. You can elaborate on these things all you want, but we're looking for something that basically says who you're going to be selling to and what it is that you're going to be doing to make money. It should be clear how you're going to make money. You might not pick that up from the vision to organize the world's information to go back to that example. Well, we don't really know what Google would do to make money from that, but we understand that's a valid thing to do. So, you know, the next step is defining those things. Who is your customer? And you may have many different kinds of customer, but you know, this is a forcing function to kind of roll it up to the largest common denominator. Mm -hmm. And then what exactly are you going to be doing to deliver value to them? Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's kind of go back to our vision as a company is to transform markets through the power of storytelling, mm -hmm. visionary. <laughs> the mission is missionary. <laughs> uh, you know, it's to enable organizations to achieve key business and market objectives by articulating and activating their brands. So I'd say that's a good mission. You know, it's short. I um, should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, practice what you preach. It's a single sentence, no commas in there. We know who we're dealing with. It's organizations. And we're helping them to achieve key business and market objectives by articulating and activating their brands. So we know broadly what we're selling and who we're selling to. You know, if, like, another way to look at it is like the vision is like the, what's the creative brain, the right or the left? I'm always forgetting. The right, I think. Okay, that's the right brain. And then the mission's going, all right, but you know, the left brain needs its pound of flesh here too, mm -hmm. you know? And we're the practical side. We're actually how you're going to do this. They work they, in tandem, yeah. They work in tandem. Which is funny is that a lot of companies don't actually see the need to do both. They're kind of, they're either confused or they just have a different idea of it. But, mm -hmm. you know, they, they think there's one statement that can do all the work. Or if you have a mission, you don't need a vision because it's implied. I mean, we find this all the time. And again, from our standpoint, it's pretty tough if we don't have both of them. We'd mm -hmm. like to work with, with all that stuff. So we actually went one day and looked at, you can find this online. I don't remember the exact link, but you look at corporate vision and mission statements. And we looked at the vision and mission statements for the top 500 companies in mm -hmm. the U.S. And it was shocking what we found. Yeah, a lot of them are really poorly constructed. <laughs> really poorly constructed, not visionary, not clear sometimes too long and then a lot of the time missing you mm -hmm. know so i'd say only about one in four companies had both in anything that remotely resembled good versions of what we look for and you know many just completely lacking there so there's a lot of um, corporate brand building hygiene that needs to happen mm -hmm. you know as we move on through this season we're going to get into all the other elements of building a brand, but this talks to all of them. So it's just sets you off on such strong footing to do this work as you're creating, you know, right now, wherever you are in your business to make sure that these are strong. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've already started down the path without it, go back and, and do it. Another good, um, 
source for this, I'd say, is Jack Welch's book, Winning. Hmm. Um, if I remember right, page 17 <laughs> <laughs> um, talks about his view on creating a vision and mission and his ideas about who's responsible for it and so on. And I'd say, you know, I'm not necessarily someone who's read a lot of his work. I don't consider myself a Jack Welch disciple in any way, but I think what he had to say was really right on and probably aligns with what we're talking about right now. Okay. So we talked about some exercises for vision mm-hmm. and there's some good ones for mission too. What do you guys do? Do you have thought exercises? You know, not, we don't get into it as much. I think, um, again, it's a little easier, I think, to get people to almost fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. So tell us who you're going to be selling to broadly and tell us what it is that you're going to be selling. How are you going to deliver value? And again, you know, ideally we've started with the vision. And when we have that, we can use that to guide us towards the mission. So here's that shining beacon on the hill. How are we going to get there? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to need to do some things. We're going to need to make money. We're going to need to set up an operation. We're going to need to connect with people. And just working through that stuff should give you what you need to craft a good mission. Generally speaking, the mission is a lot easier to develop than the vision. And often we find the mission in place when there's no vision. And we can actually go back sometimes when we're needing that vision and say, okay, let's reverse engineer this thing. Mm. You've got a mission statement, seems to have all the elements in there. What is this driving towards? Where do you want to take this business? And we're not talking about the next planning cycle. We're talking about at the end of the day, you know, when you are the Wikipedia entry because you're no longer around, Mm -hmm. where are you taking this thing? And that actually can be a very useful tool to get that vision statement going Mm -hmm. for the company as well. Do you feel like the mission statement also needs to be inspiring or motivating or bold? Great question. No, I think it just mainly needs to be clear. And I think it needs to fit. I mean, that's another thing about brand building. And it starts with business building, right? The vision and mission need to feel like they fit together. The mission needs to feel like it logically follows from the vision. Mm -hmm. All the pieces need to feel like they fit together like a puzzle that could fit together no other way. So a mission could be from the definition like selling coffee mugs to coffee drinkers. Is that too wide? Like, does it need to be the beginning of positioning where you're kind of saying like, this is how we differentiate ourselves in the marketplace or is it truly just? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think what we've noticed is that people want to start differentiating themselves almost too soon. Hmm. And they ask us, that's a great question. You know, well, is this mission different enough from someone else's? And our view is that don't worry about it. You know, we're going to get to the differentiating stuff, Mm -hmm. but the main thing is just be clear about how you are going to make money and who you are going to sell to. Mm -hmm. And sure, you know, you might have a different segment of the marketplace that you're focused on from a fairly close in competitor, or you may emphasize a different, you know, a different set of products, but broadly it's, an internal tool for you to be clear about what you're doing and to measure your strategic efforts against to build your operation around. Mm -hmm. That's its primary function. Its primary function is not to set you apart. 
Yeah, so you could have three companies all pursuing essentially the same mission in theory, but because their positioning is a bit different and their personality is different and they're at different stages of their development, that's another important thing. Mm -hmm. They could all seem really distinct in the customer's mind. It sounds really cut and dry theoretically, but I know yeah, for some clients I've worked with and some of my own businesses, it's been very clear. And then other times it actually is really hard, especially in the beginning to pinpoint exactly, okay, I have this germ of inspiration. The vision might be easy, but who exactly am I selling to and how exactly am I going to make money? It can, it, it can be really useful to actually really nail that down. Oh yeah. You know, I'm, and again, I don't think we have exercises that we roll out as much because we're just not working on it that much. But if I was going to sit here with you and try to be the mission psychoanalyst, mm -hmm. I might say, well, look, where's that first dollar going to come from? Mm -hmm. Let's just go to a moment, close your eyes and tell me where's that first dollar going to come from and what was it that you sold and who did you sell it to? And now we have a starting point and then we can say, is that where the next dollars are going to come from? Or is that kind of an exception? Where do you want those dollars to mainly come from? And is that person who bought that first thing from you typical? What's the range of people who you could be selling to? And I think you could kind of build out through that kind of thought exercise, literally with your eyes closed, mm -hmm. all the kind of raw material that you could come back to and create a good mission from. Mm -hmm. All right. So vision, your beacon on the hill, mission, your paved road that takes you there. Or maybe unpaved. Or maybe unpaved. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to say about these powerful tools? Well, why don't we try to create something right now? Hmm. Like we have a podcast here. We I mean, do. Why don't we just wing it? Okay. Don't we, we don't. We haven't made a vision mission oh my for this God. podcast. We're so oh my God. irresponsible. Tsk, tsk, tsk. All right, uh, let's do it. Okay, so we see a world in which this podcast does what for what benefit? Um, I don't know. Top of mind thoughts on that? What do you think? I see a world in which brand frontlines connects wise and powerful brand builders to talk about marketing. I love it. I see something a little different. Yeah. So we can work on this, you know, after the episode, <laughs> but, um, I see making the inner workings of brands transparent to people, not only in our profession. I mean, I definitely want to talk to them, but to the world at large mm -hmm. so that people out in the world can start to understand how brands are working on them and what decisions are being made in their visual environment and their, ex their world of experiences. Um, they can kind of get behind the curtain as it were mm -hmm. and understand what the pieces are and how their world, their marketed world is, is being built. You know, mm -hmm. I'd love to see that happen. It's kind of an expose almost mm -hmm. or a decoder. I really love to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Brand so, decoder. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. You know, also, you know, I mean, that's the vision, but what's my real purpose <laughs> at the risk of sounding saccharine? It's to spend more time with you doing stuff I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I know. We have to 
hire a producer <laughs> to get a few moments alone together. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so true. <sighs> All right, so what's our mission here? To inform listeners through podcast and digital outreach. Uh, maybe, yeah, to bring exciting, fresh, relevant brand content to brand practitioners and others at whatever stage they're practicing to enable them to do a better job, have richer conversations, clarify something that they're thinking about and go out into the world and see it at work. Mm -hmm. Fresh content coming at ya. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, hopefully we have clarified and titillated you <laughs> to go and look at your vision and mission or even just to understand how they work. Yeah, just ask yourself, is this bold? Is this bold enough? You know, this is your life. Mm -hmm. This is your business. And you want it to be exciting. You want it to be an exciting ride for the people who are going to join you, you know, your staff, your partners. So think about it from that standpoint. So next week. Episode three. Yeah. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the brand wheel. Oh, the brand wheel. Brand wheel keeps on turning. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So just a little preview. The brand wheel is kind of an organizing scheme that we have for all the storytelling elements that you use. The equivalent in the world of screenwriting would be, or writing a novel would be your play. You know, getting your setting down, writing that down, writing, you know, character descriptions, writing what the premise of the story is. So we figure out what those are, the equivalents for a brand, and we have a way of organizing them that looks like a wheel. And we'll try to give you a picture of that as best we can in your mind's eye in episode three. See you next time on the Brand Frontlines. See you there. Mm -hmm.